Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Mornings with Carmen here on the 25th of March. Of course, this is the Mornings Without Carmen version. This is Peter Kapsner filling in for today as Carmen is away for the weekend attending to her parents, getting a little time with family, which is delightful for her. love being with all of you here as we wake up this morning and fix our eyes on Jesus yet again, as Carmen would say, bringing the mind of Christ to the headlines of the day. And we, we certainly have a lot of great Thinkers and guests and commentators coming up here over these next two hours, people with whom you are undoubtedly familiar if you listen often, if you're a first-time listener this morning. uh, These are some people like Bruce Ashford coming up in just a couple of minutes and Chris Martin later that are really trustworthy voices to talk about kingdom life in the midst of the topics of the day. And of course, Paul Perot is in studio with me running the music, running the show this morning. Good morning, Paul. Just trying to keep you on track, man. Just well, and not, not an easy task as, as we both <laughs> know. I was thinking about our opener this morning and some of these news headlines. And of course, uh, Russia and Ukraine, it might not be in the news uh, 24-7 like it was when no, the invasion first enough. started. But yeah, it's still obviously top of the mind. And and I always appreciate it when some of these headlines also intersect with my world, which tends to be the classroom and young people and pastors in, in seminaries and in Christian ministries programs. And so we talked about war this last week in my ethics class. And it was an interesting experience with the young people, Paul, because of course they were on the side uh, of Ukraine and President Zelensky and seeing some of the courage and, mm-hmm. and, and just the the honor, I suppose, even the way they've been carrying themselves. And, and it seems pretty clear in this war versus other versions of war that there really is a, a, a moral evil or a moral choice happening as, as Putin is leading the Russian troops into this invasion of Ukraine. But I think as a kingdom person, we have to, uh, even as we understandably support the Ukrainian side of this in a lot of different ways, these are still people and, and this is not nation against nation. Nations are always made up of people, of immortal kinds of people. Mm-hmm. You know, then I'll read a C.S. Lewis quote about this in just a moment. And so as we talked about it in class, what some of the young people were, again, understandably celebrating perhaps uh, Ukrainian victories that would come at the expense of Russian lives. And, Many of them, yes. Uh, right. And, and we talked, you know, we, we, we can't have our mindset informed by movies or films or video games when we start thinking about war violence. That tends to be our, our most of our exposure to the battlefield is through vicarious means like video games and, and like films. And it can be dehumanizing if we allow it to be dehumanizing and you forget that sons and daughters are losing their lives and parents are losing their kids or kids are losing their parents in this. And and so whether Russian or Ukrainian, the entire situation is sad and not terribly worth being celebrated. And so we want to read a C.S. Lewis quote as we get started this morning. You've probably heard it if you ran across C.S. Lewis's writing from time to time. But he writes this. He says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal Nations and cultures, arts and civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with. It's immortals whom we work with. 
immortals who we marry, immortals that we snub, and immortals that we exploit. This does not mean we are supposed to be perpetually solemn. We must play, but our merriment must be of that kind and is in fact the merriest kind which exists between people who have from the outset taking each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. Again, there are no ordinary people. These are real lives that are at stake. These are real lives that are being impacted by the horrors of war. So even as we might support one nation over another in this situation, as kingdom people, we have to keep in mind that this is all couched uh, under the lens of sadness. Yeah, getting back to what you were talking about with video games and such, and we, especially those shoot 'em up ones, and I always had a check in my heart regarding those because, wow, it, it, it just glorified the brutality. And then jumping to that, we were talking beforehand, you know, some of the movies, sometimes you see the death of somebody treated like a joke. I saw that in some of the uh, Marvel movies, right. the second of the of the uh, Gal- Guardians of the Galaxy movie, and it's like, this is not a joke. Yes, there's a place, and Scripture has it with the imprecatory uh, psalms where people are calling down, God, please judge this person for doing something wrong. That's one thing, but to celebrate what you're talking about, the demise of an eternal, that's, or, you know, somebody who's, life is supposed to be lived in eternity. That's that's wrong. Yeah, it so. is wrong. And I uh, appreciate uh, text coming in this morning already referencing the book there from which that quote comes, and that is uh, C.S. Lewis's book, The Weight of Glory. Highly recommended. If you just Google, there are no ordinary people. You can see that quote on your own and would love to hear from you throughout the morning as well. Different comments and questions that come in as I talk to the various guests and bring the mind of Jesus into these headlines. You can text 877-933-2484. And up next, we've got good friend of the program, Bruce Ashford. We're going to talk about how do we navigate relationships with toxic people. And even as we do so, this quote from C.S. Lewis comes to mind is that there are ways in which we need to form appropriate relational barriers with other people, but the war is never against uh, flesh and blood. it's always against the spiritual forces. And Bruce, Bruce will be up next to talk about that with us. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen. minutes after the top of the hour here on the 25th of March. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for Carmen LeBurge, and we are joined by a good friend of the program, Bruce Ashford, who writes and comments and teaches uh, about any number of public issues that uh, have relational implications, theological implications, and just releases some great series that you can really sink into on various important topics of the day. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, Peter. It's great to uh, be back on the, uh, the show. Uh, Yeah, so good to hear your voice and uh, just have appreciated your work over these years. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about toxic people here. You've released a series and we'll ask the first question about that, about how do you identify a toxic person in just a moment. But before we do, the people that are part of the Faith Radio family here this morning, if they want to access the series that you've been doing, where can they go? Okay, so yeah, it'll be housed at bruceashford.net. And I published it about two, three weeks ago, so it'll be a little bit down on the queue. You can just go to the search function and type in toxic people. This is a uh, uh, an article series that is very relevant to um, 
our everyday personal lives, but also to public life. You may have noticed that there are one or two people in public life who are toxic. You may or may not. <laughs> Gee, Bruce, I don't ever turn on the news. I don't ever see anything <laughs> like that. No, it's and it's so troubling, isn't it, when our public figures act and interact the way that they do, because they really do uh, set the tone for many relationships. People look to people in the public sphere and they begin to act and interact in ways similar to that which they see. And, and as believers, we need to act and interact in a different way. So take us into the series a little bit. Uh, how do you identify somebody who might be toxic? And, and maybe how would you even define what toxicity looks like in a relationship? Yeah, so, you know, a toxic person um, is somebody who is um, toxic for you in particular, right? Usually it, it's uh, they may not be toxic to everyone else in their life, but they probably are. But they're toxic to you in particular. And that, that means that uh, they are continually, intentionally causing you distress um, uh, through negativity. And there's all different kinds of negativity. We can get into those <clears throat> um, in, in just a moment. But that's, uh, um, um, that, that's kind of the gist of it. So to give some examples um, of what it feels like and what it looks like when a person is, person is toxic toward you in their personal life or if they're toxic in public life, um, one is it's going to be a person who never asks forgiveness for their toxic words and actions. Um, no matter how egregious they are, no matter what they've done uh, to hurt you or lie to you or deceive you or whatever, there, there's never going to be, will you please forgive me? You know, I really shouldn't have done that. It'll never happen. Mm. Um, some toxic people will keep you on your feet, keep you on your toes uh, by uh, um, being uh, kind of flipping personalities on you. You know, they're uh, positive towards you one day and negative towards the next. Um, Lots of people like to manipulate. The Bible treats manipulation as heart theft. Manipulation is when somebody tries to get you to do something that you don't want to do. And they use whatever means they've got to get you um, to not be able to use your own decision-making capacity. Uh, toxic people are usually self-righteous and judgmental. Um, um, when they, even when they do something egregiously wrong, they're going to twist it and make it seem like you were the person who was wrong. Hmm. Um, yeah, and Bruce, just as you interact with people that across these categories that you describe, one of the, the signs that you can point towards if you're wondering, gosh, is this relationship healthy or not, is that over extended periods of time and, and extended interactions, you just walk away over and over again. Your spirit's all sort of swept up and you feel tired and it's difficult and maybe it feels a little cloudy in the relationship. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, for a Christian, you know, someone who's walking with the Lord is, you know, your intention is going to be to make a relationship right, you know, to reconcile. You want there to be peace. And the hard thing for you to understand when you keep reaching out in a well-meaning manner is uh, that they actually don't want the peace. That's the opposite of what a toxic person wants. And when you use um, normal tools and reasonable tools and Christian tools with that person, not going to work because it's not normal, not reasonable, not Christian. Um, they might be, <clears throat> they'll often make sweeping statements with you in the negative and them in the positive. Uh, they might even use kind words or phrases every once in a while, but with a toxic tone, such as, so how are you doing? You know, yeah, uh, something like that. Um, you know, you're, a toxic person is never going to genuinely uh, share your joy in your successes in life. Um, yeah, so those are uh, some of the, and, and the feel of interacting with a toxic person is you're walking on eggshells. You're not sure what you're gonna do or say that's gonna set them off. 
Um, you're trying to change your behavior to suit them. You feel confused sometimes uh, after your interactions with them. Uh, if you feel bad about yourself, you'll feel drained. And uh, this is what we're talking about when we're talking about pocket people. Hmm. Talking with Bruce Ashford this morning about a series that he released. You can go to bruceashford.net about toxic people and, and how to not just identify toxicity within a relationship, but what do we do from there? And Bruce, we have some text coming in. And so let's uh, step away for just a moment when we come back. I, I would love for you to address the question from, from one of the people in our Faith Radio family this morning that is, can you, can you tell somebody that they are toxic to me or if I, you know, using the language in, in a relationship and just say out loud, hey, this is toxic, or you are toxic to me. So that's up next with Bruce Ashford. Stay with us. More to come. Peter Kapsner filling in for Carmen LeBurge here this morning on Mornings with Carmen and chatting with Bruce Ashford about toxicity in relationships. And Bruce, I think you struck a nerve a little bit. There's quite a few texts coming in related to this topic. And one of the questions that came in is, can you actually tell somebody, once you identify that a relationship seems very toxic to you, that your spirit has swept up some of the categories that you described before the break, can you just flat tell somebody point blank, you are toxic to me? And if so, what does that look like and sound like in the relationship? Yeah. So let me give on the one hand, on the other hand. So on the one hand, you might have a toxic person in your life who's a close family member or a longtime close friend, and you just feel the need on your own to give them a rationale. And so in that case, you, you know, you can, you can tell them, but I, instead of saying you're a toxic person, what I would say is something like this. Listen, uh, in our action, interactions over the weeks or months or years or, or whatever it is, uh, the effect of my conversation with you is toxic for me personally. It, uh, it it's not good for me. So I'm going to have to just back away from this relationship. So you can do that. On the other hand, generally, it's not helpful to do that because any olive branch you extend or explanation you give or anything with good Christian intent, the whole point is that a toxic person is going to take that olive branch and whip you around the head with it. So every well-intentioned statement you make is going to be used to beat you even more severely. Mm. And that's why in general, it just, you know, in general, it doesn't help to tell a person that, you know, you might need to do that to get it off your chest and to communicate clearly on your part, but don't expect something positive in response because the whole point is they're not going to respond positively. That's yeah. The point. No, that's interesting. And Bruce, is there? Does it matter if it's more a, a colleague at work that you have to work with, or maybe a, a semi-close friend versus somebody who might be in an ongoing relationship, like a parent or something like that? Do you have to handle things differently depending on the person? Yeah, I mean, if you're stuck and can't get away from particular relationships at a, at a job or in a family relationship, um, then you know, probably telling somebody that they are toxic, you know, that, that's not going to do any good. The best you can do is just say, listen, our interactions have been unhelpful and unhealthy, um, you know, or no explanation at all. You just keep the communication clear, uh, crisp, fact-based, and don't let yourself, and listen, one of the hardest things in the Christian life is to control our response to the people and things around us. And uh, when we have pain, it has to do with our response more than it has to do with circumstances. So uh, we're going to have to find a way inside of ourselves to not be hurt or wounded or disappointed when a toxic person acts like a toxic person. And we're going to have to not be naive. We're going to have to have enough wisdom, not to throw our pearls before swine, not to spend our time explaining ourselves to them, trying to help them see that we're actually a good person, not a bad person. 
uh, trying to defend ourselves when they make accusations. You just uh, you just handle it crisp and, and clean and go about your business. Easier said than done, but that's what needs to be done. Yeah, and I think that's so helpful, uh, Bruce. And as we think about some of these relationships, too, you write eloquently. And as part of this series of articles, at one point, you're also encouraging us to, to at least be somewhat mindful that even though we don't uh, continue to just sort of live within the toxicity and we're, and we're not people that are doormats for other people, to somehow recognize that, too, there's some fueling maybe from the spiritual realm in this, that Satan is on a mission to destroy relationships. And so even that you do need to protect yourself from the toxicity of the relationship, is is it possible that you can somehow remain for the person in general? I don't mean accepting their behavior yeah. or their actions, but how do you remain for of them knowing that they're probably being impacted by the evil that's in this world too? Yeah, absolutely. If someone is toxic, then there, there's a there's an ugly story beneath it in, in some manner. They're dealing with something. They're very unhealthy, spiritually and mentally, and uh, some of this is through their fault. And and possibly through no fault of their own. You never know what their family situation was, their friend's situation. But when your heart goes out to them as a Christian, you're going to want to then just try to rush in to help. But the whole definition of a toxic person is that they refuse to receive help. Any help you give them can and will be used against you. And so you can pray for a person and commit them into God's hands and realize that um, God is the one ultimately who's the hound of heaven, who pursues people. Now, they may not be pursuable, but God is the one who does that. That does that. Now, all the pressure is not on you. You can pray for a person. You can wish them well. And at the same time, you can make sure that they don't derail you uh, from your mission mm-hmm. in so, life. Yeah, so helpful. Talking with Bruce Ashford about toxic people. Again, his work on this series, you can find at bruceashford.net. Highly recommended as I think it impacts many of our relationships. Bruce, we got another question coming in or a, a comment that would love your insight on. It says that this topic is very timely for me as a person who I considered toxic and walked away from recently popped back into my life again this week with some strong accusations against me. So that's part of what you're talking about. It doesn't tend to go well. Although I consider them to be twisted and not true. One of the first things the gentleman said is that people can be toxic to some people, but not to other people that made me question myself. Maybe I am toxic to this person as well. Is that possible, Bruce, that some people just the, – the toxicity is is a personality difference? It is people that misunderstand each other? Is it people that are just sort of mean to each other on some levels, but other relationships are fine? Or if you have a toxic person, does that tend to extend into just about every relationship? Yeah, so, you know, often toxic people uh, are so spiritually and, and uh, mentally and physically unhealthy that they're toxic to everyone around them. But it is very possible for a person to be toxic to you, but not to other people necessarily. Let me give an example. Um, you might have a person who may even not even understand this about themselves, but they don't like you because of your basic personality template. And it's not because of character flaws, it's because of your basic personality template. And maybe they had a father or a mother or a bad person, a former romantic relationship with a person who had the same personality traits as you. And so just instinctively, they, they uh, you know, treat you badly. There's nothing you can do to change that. You can't and shouldn't change your personality and become a chameleon to, to try to, um, you know, uh, placate that person. So, yes, it is very possible the person is toxic for you, uh, but not for other people. 
Bruce, one more uh, comment here before we got to run. And and uh, give, is there ever uh, the possibility, have you seen this in, in relationships where you've maybe counseled people in toxic relationships to say, hey, just uh, separate for a bit, take some time apart from each other and, and reflect on the different dimensions? Sometimes it get, it's helpful to get out of the heat of the moment to really have a good evaluation. Is this toxic or is this something we can work through? Yeah, sure. I mean, you can definitely try that. Um, I would, uh, you could, you could have some hope that things will be better when you get together, but I would just say to prepare yourself emotionally and spiritually that when you come back together, if a person's toxic for you, they're probably going to be toxic for a while. Person who's toxic toward you is probably not going to get things fixed in a three month cooling off period or six month cooling off period. If someone has spent 30 or 40 years of their life becoming a toxic type of person, they're not gonna come out of the woods in three or four weeks. It's gonna take a while. And so um, Jesus walked away from toxic people over 40 times in the Bible. Paul told, uh, warned us against toxic people. Um, and so we don't have to feel guilty about that. Uh, we can exercise our Christian virtue and Christian love toward the people who aren't going to derail our mission. Toward the um, and and so that, that that's sort of maximizing our Christianity rather than minimizing it. Bruce, so helpful as always, and we do have people texting in again asking where they can find your work. And this is not just a one-time article. This is this is a series of articles that you release. So it, it really gives us the opportunity to go ahead and sink our teeth into this topic. So again, remind the people listening this morning where they can find your work on the subject. Yeah, you can find it at bruceashford.net, and the keywords you're going to want to use, I've done two series that are relevant. One is called the Toxic People Series, Toxic People 102, 103, and 104, and then I did a series called Manipulation, the Manipulation Series, and it's Manipulation 102, 101, 102, and 103, and it teaches you how to spot manipulation and stop it dead in its tracks in interpersonal relationships, in media, and in politics. Great stuff, Bruce, as always. I so appreciate your faithfulness and your wisdom, your commitment to the kingdom, and your ability to, to communicate so effectively to help us in the midst of just our daily lives and relationships like this. I hope you have a great day and rest of the weekend. Thank you. We'll step away for just a minute. When we come back, we'll do some bottom-of-the-hour conversation, talk a little bit about J.R.R. Tolkien Reading Day and The Lord of the Rings, one of my favorite series as well. In the second half of this first hour of Mornings with Carmen, we'll be joined by Chris Martin, talk a little bit about technology, as well as an interesting headline where David Beckham, the former famous soccer player, handed over his Instagram account to a Ukrainian doctor in, uh, in a really an interesting interchange. So stay with us. More to come on Mornings Without Carmen. Oh, that music, Paul Perot, you being the master music mixer as always. It just, I don't know why that brings tears to my eyes. I don't know why I'm such a sap for the Lord of the Rings story. It's, uh, of course, it's J.R.R. Tolkien reading day. And uh, as part of the Faith Radio family, if you've got some comments about Lord of the Rings and any kind of impact that that story has had on you, I'd sure love to hear them at 877-933-2484. Paul, I think this story, the reason why it's had such an impact, and and I I never grow weary of it. I've read it Mm -hmm. multiple times. I've read it with all of my children. We watch the movies. It's seemingly once a year. And, And maybe it just is this the simple idea that a nondescript little like furry footed creature from from some corner of Middle Earth, the Shire, gets, the Shire, I know gets gets called into this much bigger story, mm-hmm. and and in the midst of all of these um, incredibly 
uh, charismatic sometimes, powerful leaders like the Gandalfs and the Saromans and the Aragorns of the world. These two little hobbits are able to walk through in the midst of all of it. And with just great courage and, and a sense of optimism and hope, they change the course of history. It's really a profound story. It is. So, yeah, today might be the day since it's a re- Tolkien reading day when you're having breakfast, you're... You know, second breakfast. Eleven Z's is what that, I always love having my eleven Z's. A little bacon <laughs> at eleven Z's is not ever a bad thing. Just just grab a book, one of Tolkien's books and read. Yeah, even just The Hobbit, you, you open up that book. It's such an easy story to digest and get into. But but it also, as easy as the story is and as profound as the writing is, it takes us into the depth of human character. It takes us into evil and suffering. And that idea of this ring, that if you decide to put that on and then such a picture of sin, it, it doesn't just stay static in your life. It continues mm-hmm. to grow and it begins to master, I think, often of Genesis 4 where it says, uh, where God says to Cain be very careful about sin because its desire is to master you. And I think Tolkien did a masterful job mm-hmm. of how that goes when you first try on that ring. It's this beautiful, alluring temptation. But it does master you over time if you continue to interact with it. Yeah. Good so, point. Fascinating stuff. Well, well uh, J.R. Tolkien Day, uh, go ahead and at least in a couple hours from now, partake in some version of Elevensies. We'll be back with Chris <laughs> Martin here up next on Morning without Carmen. Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for this morning on the 25th of March and Text line has sure been lighting up this morning on some of the different topics of the day as we talk about bringing the mind of Jesus into our everyday lives and the things that we're thinking about and talking about. So please continue those texts at 877-933-2484 as we bring in our next guest, regular uh, contributor to the program, Chris Martin, talking about just different angles of technology typically, but also other topics as well. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. How are you doing? Good. It's always great to hear your voice. Appreciate your insight in uh, some of these topics that remain unfamiliar to me in terms of a day-to-day practice in in social media and some of the internet things, but certainly the next generation of which I'm a part on a regular basis, this is their life. This is a a departure from their daily life. Uh, To be in some version of technological interface tends to be what they do throughout the day. And and I don't know what your read is of this, but we went through a season of time in which it felt like there was a new social platform coming out about uh, every 11 seconds, it felt like. And I, and I couldn't keep up from Facebook to Instagram to TikTok to, to all of these different interfaces. And, and yet we seem to be digesting them now. There's not as many new platforms that are making their way into our, our daily lives. But as we think about that, you write something pretty compelling here that we have to be mindful that these platforms are not neutral, that every technological platform really does have its own agenda. They, they come into the business world of technology for a reason. And, and so tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, I think when people hear every technology has its own agenda, I, I don't know why. I mean, perhaps it's the, the politicis, politicis, that's a, that's, yeah, that's a big word for early in the morning. <laughs> the politics of the day, right? <laughs> yeah, how like the the word agenda somehow always af- ends up being affiliated with politics. Um, and that's not what I mean when I write about every technology has its own agenda. I suppose what I mean is every technology has its own purpose. And I was using Neil Postman's terminology when I write about how every technology has its own agenda. Uh, when he, he gave a a talk at the College of DuPage, which is a community college in Wheaton, Illinois, all the way back in 1997. So I'm the kind of guy who, 
you know, when I'm looking for something to listen to or watch when I'm eating lunch at my desk, I'll just look up a random Neil Postman talk from the late 90s because that's just how I am. But when I was watching this a few months ago, um, he, he talked about – I'll just read a short quote of what he said. He said, like, the brain itself, every technology has an inherent bias, has both unique technical limitations and possibilities. That is to say – Every technology has embedded in its physical form a predisposition toward its being used in a certain way and not others. So, I mean, we all get this. Like, you use a bed for sleeping not to make your breakfast. Uh, you use a, uh, a chair to sit on uh, not to take you to work unless I suppose you just, you know, sit and your chair at home and work. But you don't, you don't use a, a chair to drive you to the grocery store. Um, we tend to use pens to write, not to uh, measure how much carpet we're going to need in our house. Every piece of technology, however primitive or advanced, has a sort of telos or a purpose. That, uh, uh, he, he doesn't use this word, but you know, just a sort of agenda. It has a, a reason for being. And I think as you know, I write specifically about social media more than I write about any other sort of technology. And I think as we continue to welcome social media and uh, all the various social internet platforms into our lives more and more as they live in our pockets most frequently, we should be asking, what is the point of these particular technologies? What is the chief purpose of our phones, for instance? Or what is the chief purpose of social media? Um, and I think a lot of times we just go around, you know, we just go about our lives using these platforms, kind of as you described, uh, and, and we, adapt, we adapt any new social media platform that comes up in the last 11 seconds, and we just use it for whatever purpose we want without thinking about what are the long-term effects of me using this? What are some of the consequences? Is it going to enhance my life or maybe give me the illusion of enhancing my life, but ultimately weigh me down in one way or another? And I just think that um, if we if we aren't careful, the purposes of the particular technologies, namely social internet platforms or otherwise, um, they those the purposes of those platforms may overtake the purposes that we have for our own lives. So just a, a, an example of getting some quite specific, um, the purpose of a social media platform like Facebook or Instagram is to keep us on their platforms for as long as possible, to keep tapping and swiping and, and scrolling. Um, but we may have a purpose for our lives of using every moment we have to glorify God, whether that's in having a coffee conversation with a friend or reading a good book. Um, and the purposes of social media, keeping us swiping and tapping and scrolling as much as humanly possible may prevent us from going to coffee with friends as much as we may be used to or reading as much as we feel like we should. But, you know, just scrolling is just so much more entertaining and, and just, you know, clicks in my brain so much more frequently. So I just think we should be more reflective and asking more questions about do the technologies of social media, do the agendas of social media override the agendas that I have for my own life? Because I think most frequently they do. Chris, what I'm hearing you say in this is the idea that you should be the one who uh, is is the, in control of the social media instead of allowing social media to control you. And, and that really is a tricky kind of balance which to hold because it, once you get into the realm of social media and some of these platforms, you're sort of almost mindful of it, whether subconsciously or even just consciously, you're waiting for the next time to go on your phone or on whatever platform it is to check what the latest information is. And, and that can really get a hold on you after a while. But you're talking about some critical thinking here that says, why am I using this? Why do I need to do this? And maybe this is just one part of my life instead of the part that's controlling me daily. Yeah. And I'm really careful always, whether on this program or in most of my writing, to never 
say, uh, stop using social media. It's all bad all the time. You know, I, I've found that in, since I just wrote this book on, on social media and have had a lot of conversations about this, that people assume that because my book highlights a lot of the problems with social media and the ways that it negatively affects us, that I just think social media is all bad. I don't. Uh, I think it can be really helpful. I think it can be really entertaining. And there's nothing wrong with that. Where there starts to become a problem is when our relationship with social media starts to take precedence in our lives over other relationships, perhaps with other people, perhaps with our faith. Uh, and it, yeah, if you just see life as sort of like a, a wheel, if you will, um, often social media will end up being the hub rather than one of the spokes. Uh, when in fact it should just be one of the many spokes around the center of our lives, which is hopefully the hub being our faith. Uh, and so so I think that a lot of us, if we're not careful, the uh, the agendas, the purposes of social media can start to overtake every other aspect of our lives. Like you say, uh, we can start to serve social media more than it serves us, uh, which is a real problem and just happens if we're not intentional. That's not something we try to do. It just kind of slides in and, and happens naturally if we don't pay attention. I'm chatting with Chris Martin this morning about how we can engage healthily within the realm of technology and social media. And Chris, maybe one more question here on this topic. And if I'm, let's say, I'm, I'm of a generation, 50, 60, 70, 80 years old, or maybe even a young person, 20, 30 uh, in, in that generation, and I haven't really ever gone on to some of these social platforms, it, it made me feel like I'm landing on Mars and, and the terrain is unfamiliar. I don't understand what's going on. Where would you suggest starting? And, and again, we're not advocating for a life of social media, but I appreciate your balanced approach that this is the way in which people communicate these days. And so we, we need to probably talk considerably about how to be healthy within it. H how would you start? Where would you recommend somebody going if they're just unfamiliar with these different platforms? Man, that's such a good question and one that's really hard to answer. Um, I would say figure out what, why you want to use social media. Uh, like, what is it that's that's drawing to you about that? Are you are you wanting to connect with friends and family? Well, then Facebook is probably your best bet. Are you wanting to keep up with different sports teams and different maybe like writers or like journalists that you like to read their opinion columns or whatever? Twitter may be your best bet there. Do you like to follow really fascinating pictures of wildlife photography or maybe you're you're uh, you like watching fitness people do their thing on like you know teach you how to do better workouts instagram could be a really helpful avenue for that do you like recipes and home interior decorating pinterest is really great for that sort of thing so it really just comes down to what you're looking for um and i would just encourage you to do research and don't just slide into one uh, it's really, it's just funny to have a conversation about like, I've never used social media. Where should I start? I've, I, it's, uh, it's not one I've commonly had. So there are, there are a handful of ways that you go about it. I would just say, figure out what you want the purpose to be for you in your life and figure out if there's one that accommodates that better than the others. You know, as a great example of how we can use technology like this in a very positive way, when we come back after stepping away for just a moment here, we're going to talk about how David Beckham gave his Instagram account over to a Ukrainian doctor and this just beautiful story. But before we do, Chris, we've got uh, some people texting in wondering where we can find your work, where they can get in touch with you, uh, because this is a pretty compelling information. Where can we find you? Of course, I'm at Chris Martin 17 on Twitter. So at Chris Martin 17 on Twitter is where you can reach out on social. Um, and uh, that's where, you know, we can get to email and such then. But um, Twitter at Chris Martin 17 and uh, anywhere else you can find me is, is great, too. I have a new book, Terms of Service. You can find that on Amazon or wherever you like to buy books. Now, I don't suppose that we can find you with an old rotary phone number and seven digits without an area code. Can we, Chris? 
<laughs> no, See, uh, you'd have to use the area code, but yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Good. Well, we'll be back with more here. We're going to talk about the David Beckham story and the Instagram account and how we can use social media in a positive way. about 13 minutes before the top of the hour here on Mornings Without Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for today, and we're chatting with Chris Martin about how we can engage healthily with technological platforms and interfaces. And Chris, before the break, I brought up a term that seems to have been somewhat unfamiliar to you, and that being the rotary phone. I did. I think during the break you said something to the effect of, you've never seen one, but you think you might be able to use one? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. That is not what I said. Let's be clear. <laughs> I have definitely seen one, uh, and I have like I have messed with one that was probably not connected. But I, to my knowledge, have never made a phone call on a rotary phone. Now I, now let's be clear, I'm not that young. Like I, I was born in 1990. I grew up with landline phones and dial-up internet and all of that. So like I've I've regularly used a landline phone and have had to memorize phone numbers. I still remember <laughs> my phone number from my house when I was a kid, uh, but. I have never used we, – we did not have a rotary phone. So I have never functionally made a phone call where you put your finger in the little hole and you like turn the dial and it like does its little tricks. You know? That's right. Right, right. Uh, yeah, so I, I cannot, I cannot uh, identify with that experience, but I, but I have used landlines. So, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm at least that old anyway. Oh, there is nothing worse than when you had to call somebody whose phone number was 989-0000. Paul Perot, it would take about a half an hour to dial that number, right? You know, there's one thing that uh, Chris did miss out on. Yeah. You know, back in the day, if you had a really bad phone call, you could slam the receiver you back on and so cause the phone to bing. <laughs> yes, that was if so satisfying. If you did that your cell phone, you need, to be, you need a new cell phone. <laughs> That's great stuff. Well, Chris, uh, let's change the topic over to Instagram and something that we previewed before. This was really quite the story. We're talking about uh, David Beckham, who may not be as prominent as he once was when he was perhaps the most famous athlete in the world, as he was playing as part of the Premier League football, as it were, in the United Kingdom. Soccer does here stateside and uh, he gave his instagram account with some 70 million followers uh, followers over to a ukrainian doctor in this really great story tell us about what happened here yeah so david beckham is you know obviously world famous for his soccer playing days which uh, he doesn't do quite as much anymore i don't think but um he has one of the largest instagram followings really one of the largest social media followings in the world uh, Ronaldo actually ha- has the crown of the most Instagram followers and perhaps social media followers, period, across all platforms. So sim- it's funny that the the most popular Instagram uh, account is kind of similar. It's like, you know, if it were Beckham in his prime days uh, with Ronaldo. And um, so with David Beckham, he has like almost 72 million Instagram followers. Um, and he did something really cool. I mean, this is social media used well and, and just a really creative. Like, I don't know if David Beckham came up with this himself. I Maybe he did, but, you know, I'm sure he's got a lot of stuff going on. He's probably not thinking about ways to use his Instagram account all the time. Uh, but whoever came up with this idea, whether it's him or someone who works with him, is brilliant. And they they handed his social media account, his Instagram account keys uh, of, uh, you know, in a manner of speaking, over to a doctor uh, whose name I can't really pronounce, Dr. Irina, mm-hmm. uh, who is a doctor. She only goes by her first name. Uh obviously because of security purposes, uh, who's in Ukraine. Uh, So he has 72 million Instagram followers, and she had permission through his massive Instagram account 
to share what conditions are like. She's the head of a perinatal center in uh, in, Car- in Kharkiv, I think is how you pronounce that, um, to show uh, all of his 72 million followers the conditions under which she and her colleagues are working. Um, and I think, you know, this is just, this speaks into a broader conversation that I've written about a little bit, but I've not written about a ton just because it, I just, there's so much I don't know about, you know, war and, and how to process all of these things. But this is the first like war of this scale that we've ever experienced on social media. You know, if you just think back to like the United States, our, our invasion of Iraq back in like 2003, almost exactly um, however many years ago that was, ni- 19 years ago in 2003, um, social media was not, I mean, we had MySpace like early, we like, like it was like early MySpace in 2003, but like nothing like we have today. And the way that we have if you will, consumed this war via social media is just an incredibly fascinating phenomenon that there should be books written about by people who have political science degrees and an understanding of social media, because it's just like the, the different messaging campaigns, different propaganda from either side about communication and how, how social media is just lightning speed, uh, and it's lightning speed communication effects have affect our, have affected our understanding of this war. And this is just another example in my, in my view, a very positive example of how social media has been used to shine some light on, on what all is going over, going on over in Ukraine. And, um, anyway, it's a really great story. And this is, this is why I don't, this is why you know I'm not like social media is bad. Never use it. Log off and delete your accounts because I think it can be used for great good. And, and this is just a wonderful example of that. Yeah, and it is really interesting that you bring up that point that this is the first war that really has so much of the social media dimension to it. And in warfare, typically has been conducted on two different levels. It's it's the obvious conventional military level that has to do with some of the the violent interactions between nations, but it also is fought on the informational level or, or the propaganda level where people are trying to control the narrative. And and we've seen a lot of that in terms of how Putin has tried to justify the invasion of Iraq. And of course, uh, Zelensky has proven to be a a fairly charismatic person who has tended to to be able to galvanize allies that that aren't necessarily going to fight with him, but are supplying him in the battle. And a lot of that has to do with information that is being bandied back and forth. But in this particular case, it's not just the leaders of the nations that are bringing the information to play. Social media allows a lot of voices to shape the narrative. And that really is a game changer, isn't it? And not just in warfare, but really in any kind of public sphere. Yeah. And and I think there's tremendous, like, like all things with social media, frankly, there's tremendous good and tremendous ill that can come from this. Obviously, mis and disinformation is running rampant on social media right now, even by well-meaning people who might see a video they think is from modern, like current Ukrainian conflict and share it, but it's actually from an old conflict that's not relevant to what's going on. They just don't know. And so I think just for all of us, we should all, um, as we're consuming content about the war in Ukraine on social media, um, no matter how encouraging or or infuriating it may make us feel, uh, or it may it may cause us to to think about these things. Um, I think we should take everything sort of with a grain of salt, uh, and and not necessarily assume even the most heartwarming stories are true, until we see some sort of verification or some sort of like multiple sources. We all have to be our own journalists, if you will, and like take 
take multiple sources confirming that a particular event happened or that a, that video, that viral video clip you saw is actually real because we might be tempted into believing something that's not true, not necessarily by some malicious actor in Russia, but even by somebody who was just misled themselves by a really encouraging video clip. And so I think all of us, like with things changing at such a rapid pace and things developing so quickly, we need to be really careful to not assume everything we read or watch uh, when we first see it is true and to just kind of double check and make a double take and, and, um, and do all we can to consume real information and, and true stories and not be led astray by people who may be intentionally misleading us or even unintentionally doing so just because things are moving so quickly, uh, not only like on the ground in Ukraine, but also through light speed, through fiber optic cables across the world through the internet. So just Take a measure of wisdom, slow down as you consume content around the war in Ukraine, and ask always ask questions and be a healthy amount of skeptical. Not cynical, but be a healthy amount of skeptical around anything you watch or read around this stuff. Yeah, great insights as always, Chris. Really appreciate this. One more time, if people that are listening this morning want to find your work, get some more insights into social media, where can they catch you? At Chris Martin 17 on Twitter and really anywhere else you want to find me on social, but that's the best place and I'm happy to chat there. That sounds great. Have a great weekend. Looking forward to catching up again soon, Chris. Yeah, sounds good, man. Well, uh, step away for just a moment, wrap up this first hour of the show and preview what's coming up next on hour two on Mornings with Carmen here for the 25th of March. If you missed that first hour of the show, some great information from Bruce Ashford and Chris Martin about uh, both the idea of toxic relationships that Bruce uh, took us into. He had a great series of articles at BruceAshford.net that you're going to want to access, as well as Chris Martin talking about our lives and social media. appreciate the comment coming in. says that uh, part of the reason I don't have Facebook on my phone anymore is basically the, how much you end up using it because your phone is always with you. And she writes, I have to use a laptop to get on Facebook now. It's reduced the amount of time I spend on there and however it is that we are the ones who are in control of the social media versus allowing media and phones and technology to control us it's really important otherwise we can get stuck in kind of this endless loop it creates anxiety and turmoil and, and we lose sense of ourselves and the humanization of other people so i really appreciate chris's work social media is not all bad but we do have to be careful with how we use it up next at the top of hour two coming up in just a few moments we'll be joined by paul ac from pluggedin.com and we'll talk about the continuing evolution to more mature themes within superhero movies stay with us on mornings with carmen Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.